Good morning, everyone. It is truly a great day to worship the Lord. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you today in this uh, psalm. Uh, I usually do not uh, preach sermons based on holidays. Uh, one of the reasons why I do that is because most of our holidays are focused on ourselves. Uh, however, there are a couple of holidays that I absolutely love to preach sermons for directed to, and Thanksgiving is one of them. I think it is one of the holidays that uh, definitely needs a revival in our country and in our hearts, and it's one that we need to be thinking on much, much more. Gratitude or Thanksgiving is the heart of worship, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of my favorite times of the year. Like I said, the calendar has built in a worship producer. Thankfully, in God's providence, He has put this on the calendar in order to force us to sit down and reflect on what He's given us and who He is. Unfortunately, most people don't focus their direction that way, but that is what Thanksgiving is supposed to be all about. Thanksgiving is a time to, that we are required to stop and give thanks to the Lord. And giving thanks for the believer is a catalyst for worship. And no matter where you are and how bad your circumstances are, we are called by the Lord to stop and reflect on what we have in Christ and be thankful for it. Beloved, this is a time to stop and meditate on who God is and what He's done for us in Christ. And as we reflect on these truths, we are motivated to praise Him and worship Him. Today, as the subtitle states in Psalm 100, by the way, I believe those are given by God also. If you'll notice, not the title, look at your Bibles, not the title itself uh, that each of your Bibles has, but that little subtitle, a Psalm of Thanksgiving. I believe those are inspired and errant by God also. Commentary probably added later by uh, inspired commentators, for lack of a better term. A psalm of thanksgiving. It is a psalm, and it has been known uh, known as a psalm of thanksgiving for a while, for a long time, way before even the New Testament was written. A psalm is an ancient Jewish song or hymn often used as a worship service. And Thanksgiving has the idea of a song that is directed to God and expresses gratitude to Him for who He is and what He has done. We don't know the human author of this psalm, but we do know we need the reminder to praise and thank God, the God of the Scriptures. And remember this, ultimately God is the one that has authored this psalm, correct? He's the one that is telling us to do what? He's telling us to thank Him. Now think about that for a second. God is telling us to praise and thank Him. Only God is perfectly just to demand us to praise and thank you Him. Or thank Him. He is God. He is the source of everything good. And He commands us, thank me. (laughs) When commands... When he commands us to praise and thank him, he's calling us to do what is best for us. This is very important to note. Often when we want somebody to give us thanks, it's because we want the pat on the back for our own good only. And 
it's always corrupted by our sinfulness, correct? But God, on the other hand, is the source of all good gifts, so why shouldn't we praise Him and thank Him? And on top of that, when we praise and thank Him, we are doing the very thing that we were created to do. That's what we were created to do. And by the way, that is where our greatest joy is found, is in praising and thanking God. That's where my greatest joy is found. When I stop and say thank you to the Lord, I'm actually doing what my heart finds joy in. And that's what you should do too. The Lord knows where we live, beloved. The Lord knows what we are experiencing. The Lord knows the cursed planet that we live on. The Lord knows the sin that surrounds us. But He gives us a solution. And the solution is this. Praise Him. Worship Him. What is the solution for sin? What is the solution for pain? What is the solution for suffering? What is the solution for living in this world and under these circumstances? The answer is knowing and enjoying God and praising Him with all of our hearts. That is the solution. When God tells us through His Word to praise and thank Him, He is giving us the solution to everything that's going on around us. When we thank Him, we have to meditate on Him and what He did for us. Again, our hearts are prone to look at our circumstances and grumble and complain. Do you understand that that's what your heart's made to do often because we are sinful. We were born of Adam and therefore we have a tendency to grumble and complain. But God gives us the solution. The solution is to praise Him, to worship Him, to thank Him. And when we stop and do that, guess what we have to do? We have to think about what He's done for us and who He is. Which gets our mind off of what? Ourself. (laughs) And what we don't have. I think we need to stop and do this every day, don't you think? It would be very good for us to just stop complaining and start praising and thanking our Creator. The psalm breaks down into two main exhortations for us to obey. It's found in the worship of God, or he calls us worship God in verses 1 to 3. And then finally, in the last two verses, give thanks. Let's start with this first main exhortation. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Oh, beloved, this is a call to worship from God, isn't it? Worship God. That's what He's calling us to do. And He gives us some commands here, some specific commands on how we do it, and how we worship. He starts with this first of three exhortations with shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout joyfully to the Lord. He starts with the commands to worship the Lord. Shout joyfully to the Lord. This is the first of seven commands in this psalm. Exhortation to worship is directed to all the earth. And I think it's very significant here that often when we think of commands, we think of them as burdens, but they shouldn't be. A a command is actually a privilege, and it's also an opportunity. An opportunity to do what we find our greatest joy in doing. 
Literally, he says, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Again, all the earth is probably a call for all of humanity to worship the Lord. He is worthy of the entire earth's worship, isn't he? If everybody stopped at this moment and screamed out praise to God and loudly proclaimed praise to God, he would only be getting exactly what he deserves because he is God. The reason and direction of the worship is shout joyfully to the Lord. Now notice in your Bible and even up here on the screen, you see the small caps. It's pointing to the name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh. Some say it's Jehovah, but that is a a word or a name that arrived over the ages where it mixed the two uh, names of God or the titles of God, Yahweh and Elohim, and put them together, the Hebrew vowels of Elohim, put those together, and you come up with Yahweh, or, or Jehovah rather. But Yahweh is probably the better, the closer explanation of his name. Again, it wasn't pronounced for thousands of years, so we're kind of guessing. The vows are not there. But ultimately, most likely, this is how it was pronounced. And it comes from, most likely, Exodus 3. So the command to shout joyfully is to Yahweh, the Lord. And it is a call for a loud outburst of praise and gratitude to the Lord. Now, many of us in here would probably say, oh, no, God is telling me to shout joyfully? Some of you in the room are saying, well, that's for Pastor Mike to do. That ain't my job. (laughs) He's the loud one, not me. My beloved, and this is universal, all the earth, we're all to shout joyfully to the Lord. The Hebrew word for shout rather was, that was Joy and shout together. <laughs> Jout. <laughs> was used of a war cry. For example, Joshua 6.5, it states this. It, remember, see if you can figure out where the setting of this story is in Joshua 6.5. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when they hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. Same word. Y'all remember the walls of Jericho fall when he, they shout. It's literally a war cry, a, a victory cry, a shout to God that he is the great victor. In Psalm 100's context, it's probably pointing to a great shout of victory and joy in the Lord. Literally, make a loud cheer to Yahweh. How about that one? Make a loud cheer to Yahweh. You can translate it that way. Acknowledge loudly His great worth. To raise our voices involves what? Most of the time, our emotions. We don't deserve a... We we don't serve, ladies and gentlemen, a dead God. (laughs) We don't have a dead relationship with God. We know the living God and know Him, and knowing Him, rather, moves us to shout loudly to the Lord. Again, some of you in the room, to speak loudly is to put the spotlight on you. Would that not be true? Anybody in here? 
If I asked you and I called out a name in here and said, now shout joyfully to the Lord and had you yell real loud, there would be several of you in the room would be like, please don't say that to me. All the blood would rush out of your face and down your body and you would be petrified, correct? But beloved, the spotlight isn't on you when this command is there. It's not about getting attention. It's not about shouting loudly so people will see you. It's a shout that is moved with great emotion because of your admiration of God. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You are moved by the glory of God and you cannot be quiet. Oh, beloved... That's why I yell often in my sermons. After seeing the glory of God, I cannot be silent. For he is good and he is worthy of all of my emotions. Now, some of you shout loudly to put the spotlight on you. This is not correct either. A person who shouts loudly to be heard has missed the point too, right? Because the reason for their loud outburst is their own glory. All too often we hear it, right? Us preachers hear it. Sometimes it's, again, we don't always know what's going on in the hearts of people. Do you understand? I I know that sometimes we'll have a visitor and a visitor will say, Amen, brother! I'm like, you obviously don't go to this church that often. But folks, we need to be careful of judging people's hearts by how their emotions are expressed, right? If they know God, it's okay, correct? If they are worshiping the true living God, to say amen is not a problem. And all in the room say, good, got it. But folks, our wretched hearts do not give us an excuse not to obey God's word. Do you understand? You cannot look at someone else and say, I'm not going to shout loudly. I'm not going to let my emotions be seen because somebody might see me. And we also cannot say, I'm not going to let my emotions be shown because, after all, it will be all about me. No, that would miss the point too, right? It's not about you. As you meditate on the glory of God, you should shout loudly. By the way, there are also times given by God in His Word that we should be silent. There are times to be quiet. What are some examples? Well, 1 Samuel 2.9. She speaks of a time of silence, though. In 1 Samuel 2.9, she says, He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. What's the point? Well, there's a day of reckoning. And in the day of reckoning, when the wicked stand before God, they will not speak. They will shut their mouths. For often the wicked are sometimes the loudest. But in the day of reckoning... They will be silenced. 
That's what Hannah's getting at. By the way, in Psalm 62, in the midst of wickedness, sometimes we must sit silent and trust in the Lord. Sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but when I observe the wickedness of the world, I find myself silenced too. Like, wow, I cannot believe how bad this is. I cannot believe it. Psalm 62 speaks of this. My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He is only my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. There are times, ladies and gentlemen, when we are silent. That does not mean that we walk around always in silence. There is a time for silence and there is a time for shouting. There is a time for quiet and there is a time for loud, joyful worship. The key to it is your heart. Your heart. Where are you? Is your vision and glory of God, your understanding of the glory of God, moving you now? Is it causing you to see the glory of God and inside your heart you long to shout out, God, you are good. You are holy. Though the world may fall around, you are God. This is our hearts, isn't it, believer? This is where we are. In Psalm 100, the psalmist is calling for a loud outburst of praise, a victory cry because of God's glory and victory. So the psalmist starts with a call to worship with a command for all mankind to shout to the Lord. He continues with a call and specifically, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Worship this Hebrew word is used 289 times in the Old Testament, or serve. 115 times it is associated with worship, service. Now, it's important to note, worship in the Old Testament is synonymous with service. In our culture and time, we have turned worship into only an emotional expression, often associated with singing. Now... Worship can be that, that is, singing with loud voices and things like that. But worship here is most likely pointing to sacrificial service to the Lord. Some of the greatest worship that we have and expressions of worship that we do is our sacrificial service of others when nobody notices when we lay down our lives for others, and when we lay down our life for our king, when we do something for our spouse and no one notice and she doesn't even notice. That's service. That's worship. Oh, beloved, when we understand who Christ is, when we understand the glory of the gospel, our hearts long to worship, and our worship is demonstrated in our service of others. When we lay down our lives for people, that's why Romans 12, 1 states, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Oh, folks, do you understand that Romans 12 comes after 11 chapters? 11 chapters of talking about the glory of the gospel. 
And the glory of the gospel then produces what? Sacrificial service to our king. Do you understand that a grateful, thankful, worshiping heart is demonstrated in a serving heart? A sacrificial heart. Sometimes a heart that's quiet, but serves. And by the way, we do it with gladness. <laughs> it says back in Psalm 100, Worship or serve the Lord with gladness. Again, worship is not absent of a proper attitude. Oh, get this. In fact, genuine worship is done with gladness. That is, we are called to worship with great joy and delight and satisfaction in the Lord. Worship through service with gladness or great delight. Where is this delight found, ladies and gentlemen? Where is our gladness found? Is it found in the object we serve? Tricky question. This is so very important. If why we serve is to get the thankfulness or to get a praise from the person we're serving, we've missed the whole point. If you serve your children, if you do your job to get something back, men, if you do your job in order to get something back, you've missed it. You do it because he's already given you everything in Christ. We serve because he loves us. We serve because he's shown us all the love and sacrifice through his son. Oh, do you understand? If the one true God is not our joy and delight, our service will be contaminated by sinful motives. As Paul said, though, in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What does that mean? Be satisfied in the Lord. Delight in the Lord always. Again, I say delight in Him. Again, as we are satisfied with the glory of God, we serve with gladness. We find our hearts motivated to worship the right object with the right motives. The problem is, we all can put a smile on, and happiness comes from a lot of different places, doesn't it? Oh, we all know how to put on a fake smile, don't we? I bet I could say it. One, two, three, smile. And most of you could put one on. I'm fairly sure. A person can have a smile on even when they're worshiping a false god. Do you understand that? I was looking at some pictures of people that go to false religions and they smile. They're smiling greatly as they sing their false hymns to their false god. Smiles don't necessarily mean genuine heart-changed attitudes. Gladness comes from a proper object, the object being God himself. Just because a person has a smile on their face as they sing a song does not mean that their joy is from the one true God. Even believers can put a smile on, but be far from true worship. Any of y'all done that before? Any confession time? 
Have you ever sang a song with a smile on your face even though you really didn't mean it in your heart? (laughs) Oh, this is one of the things that I long for with my children. I'm trying to show them and, and teach them not to be a hypocrite with worship. I don't want them to be fake. I want them to know the one true living God and be motivated to worship Him with gladness. Oh, folks. Again, the key to obeying this command is our delight must be in God Himself. We can't serve Him with gladness unless we are enjoying Him. And by the way, you don't turn that switch on and off. It doesn't just come on Sunday. Do you understand that if you think that coming on Sunday, I'm going to serve the Lord with gladness today, because today's Sunday, this is the day I get to serve Him with gladness, turn the switch on, do you understand that you are far from God? That's not how God works. If He's the object of our delight during the week, then our Sundays will be the climax of our worship. But if He is not the object of our delight during the week, then guess what? Sunday's a fake facade. You want to know whether or not you have genuine service of the Lord with gladness? What's it look like when nobody's looking? How do you look when you're laying in your bed at night by yourself? That shows what your heart's doing. Now, again, that does not mean that you always have a smile on your face. The reality is, is that there is a joy in the Lord. And that joy is not always expressed with a smile. It's a peace and contentment that's found in Christ and what He's done for us. Our hearts will be exposed when trials come into our lives, won't they? When those trials come into our lives, they show whether or not we are serving the Lord with gladness or whether we have bad motives. Oh, please, folks, know that He is God and serve Him with gladness. Notice also it says, come before Him. Come before Him with joyful singing. In the Hebrew, this is literally, come to His face. Come to His face. Now, this at first glance could be confusing or a paradox, can it? The perplexity is increased as you add the next little phrase, with joyful singing. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want to see the face of God? It's a trick question. It's a trick question, isn't it? How many of you want to see the face of God? Yes, it depends on what moment I'm at. Right now, I guess so. The reality is, is that when Isaiah saw the Lord, the face of the Lord, what did he say? Woe is me. He's a prophet, Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah. How about in Judges, Samson's parents, when they saw the Lord, what did they do? They cowered in fear. Oh, no, we've seen the Lord. We're going to die. Exodus 33, even the Lord says, For no one can see my face and live. Ezekiel 128, when Ezekiel saw him, he fell on his face. Oh, my. John, the apostle, when he sees the glorified Jesus, falls on his face. 
But here the psalmist exhorts the reader, come before his face with joyful singing. What? Well, there's a hint. How do we do this? How do we come before the Lord with joyful singing? Well, here's the two hints. They're found in the next verse. It has to do with our attitude and our right understanding of things as we approach Him. First, the listeners are part of a group who are humble. We'll see that in a little bit. They are humble people. That is, people that have been crushed and realize that as they approach the Lord, they don't come based on their own self-righteousness. We don't come before His face saying, I deserve to come here. We never say something like, oh, I deserve to go to heaven. Nobody deserves to go to heaven, correct? None of us go and say, oh, here I am. I think I'll enter the presence of God with joyful singing because I'm worthy. No, it comes with a humble heart. A humble heart that knows who he is and who we are. It also, the listeners are a part of a group of people considered God's sheep. In other words, the one that wants to go before the presence of God with joyful singing is the one who knows that we are his sheep and that he's our shepherd. That he has taken our place and that we are right with him based on him. And that we are his sheep, he is the shepherd, and we want to follow his voice and we want to see his face. It's about a heart attitude, ladies and gentlemen. It's about a humble heart that understands, I don't deserve to come into the presence of God. And when does that, that attitude go away? Never. Not for the believer. We are constantly needing a reevaluation of that, don't we? And a reflection on the reality that I don't deserve to go into the presence of God, but because of Him, I can go into the presence of God. Beloved, if we humbly recognize that God, for who He is and what He's done, we will be emboldened to want to come into His presence with joyful singing. A fear of God leads to a right understanding of God's own love and care for His humble servants. This fear then gives way to an understanding of God's grace and His care for us. But what is the very thing that keeps us from wanting to go joyfully into the singing, singing presence of the Lord? What is the one thing that keeps us from wanting to do this ultimately? Sin. It is sin. As sin stains our hearts, we recognize, oh, I could never approach the living God. As we understand our sin, we must be forced to our knees... <laughs> And humbled in silence. Yet at the same time, at that very moment, our Lord is always faithful. Always faithful to remind us that you can enter my presence. And the reason why is because my son came and died for you. Your sin is paid for. You are forgiven. That's why David says in Psalm 51, Oh Lord! Return to me the joy of my salvation. 
As we understand that our sin is paid for and that we are right with Him, we joyfully come before Him saying, Oh God, you deserve our worship. And we will come into His presence with joyful singing. That's why we're here today, right? I hope that's why you're here today. You're here because you're forgiven. You're here because you're loved by the King. You're here because all of your sins are paid for. You're here because Jesus reigns and rules. And today we come with joyful singing, don't we? What a great God we serve. I want to go into His presence. How about you? If my mind and my heart are focused on that, then yes. But if I'm fully aware of my sin, I don't want to get anywhere near Him. And if you think... You want to get near Him and you're in sin? You're dead in sin. And you just don't realize how bad and how holy and how scary He really is. He's the object of our motivation, or our worship. And He's the motivation of our worship. Notice, verse 3, it says it. He says and gives another command, but this one's interesting because the first three commands appear to be the object of the worship or or the the motivation for worship and the call to worship. But this command's a little different because the command is saying to know something that you know, to meditate on something that you already know. And I would argue that this last command is not really parallel with the other ones, but it actually gives the reason or the motivation for why we should do it. Why we should worship? Well, the answer is, know that the Lord, Yahweh, Himself is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. What is this command? It's a command to understand, to reflect, to meditate on Yahweh God, the one true God, to think on Him, to recognize who God is, which forms the basis of our worship. As we know Him, we worship Him. This knowledge also is not a stagnant understanding. It's a growing awareness of God. The more we know Him, the more we worship Him. The more we study the Scriptures, the more we know who He is and the more we want to worship Him. God is making worshipers. Do you understand that that's what He's making? And the way that he makes worship is worshipers is show you a revelation of himself. And you get the revelation of himself from this book. And as you know him more, you are then commanded to meditate, understand, reflect on, and let it penetrate your heart to cause you to do what? Worship. You don't come in to Sunday morning, turn a switch on and say, let's worship. If your mind is not fixed on the one who deserves worship. Isn't that the way Satan does it too? Think about your way in. Probably some of you had weeks that were hard. (laughs) Or trips in where everything seems to go wrong. You ever had those Sundays? And it seems like this is impossible. We'll never make it. And all your attention is on circumstance. And yet we come in. Let's sing. Holy, holy, holy. Everybody stand, please. 
one of the reasons why I remember Ryan talking about this, Ryan Gear talking about how it would be really good for us to start our services with just some silence. Maybe it would be good when you come in to maybe bow your head. Can you imagine? And pray and seek the God of the Bible. Reflect on who he is. Meditate on who he is. I know there's great fellowship when you come. Oh, I hadn't seen you in a couple days or a week. But we're here to worship the king. Put your mind on him. Know that he is God. Again, a right understanding of him leads to worship. In order for us to worship, we most know, must know that God more and more, and as we pursue our understanding of this creator God, we are motivated to worship him more. If you are having a problem with your service, with gladness, and your worship with joyful singing, and your loud proclamation, maybe it's because your heart is focused on your circumstances instead of the Lord. Because after all, he is God. He himself, you could translate this, is God. This is emphatic, and it's the emphasis is on Yahweh as the creator God, the Elohim, the one who made all things. The Hebrew word here for God is Elohim, like I mentioned, and it points to his position as creator. And I am completely convinced, ladies and gentlemen, that evolution is one of the great attacks on worship. It is a great attack by the Satan on worship. You know why? Because if you attack God as the creator, then what you do is you kill one of the very motivations for people to worship. You look at the creation and and it silences the creation that screams, God's alive! God's powerful! Worship him. Evolution says to you, it all came about by chance. And so it undermines the very heart of worship, a right knowledge of who God is. Am I crazy to think that God created the world in six six days? Not at all. It's the way he did it. How do I know? The scriptures say it. I don't care if all of y'all go to theistic evolution. I'm going to stand on that till I die. And then when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, you are just like you said you were. Because that creator, God, is the very thing that creates worship in our souls, doesn't it? Ah, Just looking at the creation. Be out on the water. Look, Drive over. I love driving to Clearwater. Believe it or not, that's one of the reasons why I keep teaching that class. (laughs) I like to drive over the bridge twice a week. You're like, what? You're a nut. I love it. I just love looking out and saying, wow, you created all this. You are God. I worship by the time I hit that pinnacle, the top of that bridge. Some of y'all are like, I just want to get off the bridge. (laughs) He's the maker of everything. He deserves our worship. 
And he produces worship as we focus on him. He's our maker. And not we ourselves, as it says. And is this not great, Psalm? Are y'all enjoying? Can you see what I did? I just spent time thinking on this psalm. Five verses. It's just like, wow, this is so good. What a God. It says, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Oh, what is this? This is a humble recognition of something. What is it? What is that humble recognition? You see, first, he's the creator. And second, we're not. We're not the creator. Who are we? We're the creation. (laughs) This is the problem with humanity. I think all too often, I think humanity thinks they're the creation. Nowadays, it is an attack on the image of God that they would say that mankind is not necessarily the pinnacle, the pinnacle of creation, which again is just another way of undermining God. The reality is this. As we meditate on him being our creator, we go, I am the creation. And therefore, you deserve worship, not me. Do you understand that it all fits together? When you think that you are the creator or you are the Lord, you've got it reversed. And guess who you're going to think deserves worship? You. You. Do you deserve to be treated correctly? No. He deserves it. He's worthy of worship. He made you. Be quiet. Don't think you deserve it. I don't deserve it. God is the creator. We're not. We're the creation. Maybe we should be quiet until we figure that out. (laughs) And then we will be ready. To worship him with joyful hearts. For we will know that he has made us his people. Oh, do you understand? This is We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. These are some very encouraging words. This pre- produces worship. This produces a lot of worship, doesn't it? You are God's people. Now, this was talking to Israel at the time. But however, we've been grafted in. And, and the new covenant, the reality is what? We are his sheep. We, as Jesus will say just in a second, I'll show you, I have some other sheep that are not of this fold. These are mine too. That's us. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And this glorious truth causes us to do what? Worship him. You're my shepherd. I'm your people. We're your people. Again, get it in that order. you got to get it in that order. All too often, people miss it. They put it in the wrong order. They do this. I am his people. So listen to me. No. I am the creature. But I'm his sheep. I'm one of his creations. And he loves me. Start hum- humble. End Praising God, worshiping Him, thanking Him. If you start proud, you will end on the ground, fallen. We're just the creation, but we're His people. 
Jesus said in John, 15, in John chapter 10, you have an even better awareness of our shepherd. He says, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I, however, am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. That's us, ladies and gentlemen. That's us, the Gentiles. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one takes away my away from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Oh, dear friends, this understanding of the Good Shepherd should motivate all of us to worship Him. Right? Our understanding that our Good Shepherd laid down His life for us creates worship. Service with gladness. Singing joyfully to God. And second we see, give thanks. You having fun? It's a neat passage, isn't it? Thank you. I heard that. It's a great passage. <laughs> Psalm 104, look at it. Give thanks. Give thanks. Mm, I just want to break out in that song. With a grateful heart, right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. The pattern is the same. He gives three commands and then he gives the reason again. In verse 5, he starts with the commands. Now, I do want to... Give a little side note here and, 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 and cause you to remember once again and call you again to evaluate your hearts. What is the one sin that especially causes displeasure to our Lord? Complaining. God hates complainers. God hates grumblers. Do you understand? How do I know that? Well, all you got to do is read the first five books of the Bible. Read it and get it. Numbers 11, 1 states, Now the people became like those who complained of adversary, adversity in the hearing of the Lord. Wait, okay. Anybody complained about adversity in your life before? Okay, okay you ready? Complained about adversity. How many of us? All of us, right? Raise your hands. That's us. Don't we complain about adversity? In the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of those on the outskirts of the camp. Boy, we don't look at complaining like this, do we? 
We say in our hearts this. We say, well, you know, <laughs> it is pretty bad. So I get to complain a little bit. No, 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 no. God hates that. It creates anger in him. It produces an emotion of anger from God. Numbers 14, 26, and 29, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my ears, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Oh my, do you understand that God basically says, I'm not going to let this whole generation go into in this into the promised land because of their grumbling hearts. I think we better take grumbling and complaining seriously. What do you think? Learn from the Old Testament lesson. That's right. In the New Testament, it's repeated. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Complaining. Beloved, unfortunately, we are notorious for this, aren't we? Now, I'm not talking about the normal grieving process related with living in this falling world. Now, get that. Please get that. I'm talking about the day-to-day grumbling and complaining because we don't get like the things that we want when we want them. Our culture is much worse than the children of Israel, by the way. I heard this week that we spend over $2 billion on flavoring research. A year. $2 billion a year on flavoring research. Do you understand what I mean by flavoring research? That's, that's research on how to make a chip taste a certain way. Or a certain kind of yogurt have the exact kind of banana in it. That banana. Because we want it our way. And if we don't get it our way, we do what? Complain. How many times have you gone to a restaurant? And this is one of my pet peeves with Christians. Listen to me and some of y'all are going to totally disagree. I don't care. (laughs) You go to a restaurant and they bring you your food and you say, well, this isn't the way I wanted it. And you're rude to the waitress. Shame on you. Then you give them a track at the end. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You hypocrites. Or you give them a dollar tip on a $20 meal. Shame on you. No, it's it's, it's just, no, 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 no. My steak is supposed to be medium. Medium. You know, I want a little bit of red in there. Oh, it's too overdone now. Love it. This is our hearts. This is what we are. This is the people we live around. And this is us. Stop your grumbling and complaining. 
and give thanks to the Lord God for all he has done. Do you understand? Again, if we could just get the principle, put it in your mind as you order your steak on Sunday afternoons. I deserve to be the steak in hell, burning. And when it comes out roasted, say, okay, this is better than I deserve. Thank you very much. It's just not what we need. No, we need to spend $2 billion on flavor research. There's a problem. Instead, we need to what? Give thanks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Oh, we who know salvation in Christ should walk around just beaming with praise to God. It should be on our hearts all the time. I deserve hell. But he saved me. Praise the Lamb. And your boss treats you bad. You go, just like my Savior was treated bad because of my sin. And a waitress comes out and gives you a hard time. And you go, oh, I bet you're having a hard day. Can I pray for you? And the line at Walmart's way back to the back. And you're standing in line for an hour for a loaf of bread. And you worship God all the way. Knowing that you des- it's so much better than the roasting of hell in eternity. Get off yourself. Get over yourself, people. And grab a hold of the Savior. For He is good. Kind, benevolent, faithful, loyal in his love to us. Always caring for us despite our sinfulness. He is good to worship him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are good. Lord, we... We all uh, recognize our own propensity to complain and grumble and, and sin and not give thanks and to do everything to praise ourselves, but not you. Oh, please forgive us. God, please forgive us. <laughs> if you took it all from us, Lord, if you took everything from us, we would still praise you because you love us you are good it is your character it is your nature you are loyal in your love to us even when we're not loyal you're loyal and you're faithful even when we're not faithful and more than all of this we know through progressive revelation more than the psalmist the people that first read the psalm Lord, we know that you sent your son 
Jesus Christ to die in our place. And for this and this alone, we should praise you all the time, unceasing without any complaint. We should constantly, joyfully cry out aloud, you are worthy of all of our worship all the time. And so we all shout joyfully to the Lord, for you are worthy. You have bought us with a price, and your son died in our place, and we want to live for you and honor you for eternity. When our hearts, when our hearts grow cold and have forgotten this, crush us. Remind us that Jesus, you alone are why we worship. May this day be the reminder of your glory. May we worship and praise you and thank you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.